Welcome back to Demand Gen Live. Really looking forward to getting into it tonight. Before we get started, a couple of quick announcements. We're going to have the 100th episode of Demand Gen Live on Tuesday, March 8th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. We have a couple of tricks up our sleeves, a couple of additional things. So if you want to get there for the 100th episode, we're coming up on basically two years since Catano Denardi and I got together one day and said, hey, you want to you want to do an event to try and help marketers get better and, and share some ideas and it turned into something really special so we'll be celebrating the 100th episode if you want to join feel free and we'll drop a link in the show notes of the podcast afterwards another quick announcement i will be hosting a keynote this thursday starting at 12 p.m eastern i think that's 5 p.m uk 9 a.m pacific this thursday which is february 17th and the topic will be quite tactical this time, which is how to make paid social work for B2B. And I'll tease a little bit here, which is that the thesis here is that buying the ads is easy. What B2B marketers haven't figured out is how to tell a business story that drives business outcomes that gets delivered using ads. And so looking forward to uh, getting into the details there. I'm excited about that one. Cool. Now getting into the uh, meat of the agenda, I'll dive into one topic. We'll see where it takes us, and then we'll decide whether we go questions or we keep going through. So the topic that I'm going to start with, and it's been interesting, I've been uh, talking about this concept a lot recently. And when I think about some of the concepts that we've talked about maybe in 2020 and sort of like moved into more advanced level 2.0 or 3.0 concepts, I think it's important to take a step back and look at some of the key foundational items because I um, just see in the market that like some of the foundational things are not being done. So I'm going to hammer home this point because I think it's really critical. And I think it could make a big difference for your results and your, your overall marketing ROI. So this one is back to basics on capturing demand. And so for... Just a quick refresher for everyone, capturing demand is when B2B buyers have intent to buy something and then you need to efficiently be able to convert them into whether that's a, depending on your go-to-market motion, a PLG free trial, into a meeting with your sales team, into a whatever else you're trying to get them into. So they demonstrate some level of intent. Um, I'll talk through some of the different types and how to react to them. And then actually capturing that. The key is, though, that something before that had to actually create the demand. They had to figure out that there was a problem. They had to figure out that there was a solution. Then they had to actually decide that that's something that they want to either explore or purchase. And then they go to intent channels. So just to be clear with people, there's a lot of things that need to happen before someone even gets to this point. But once people get here, especially if you're in a, in a place with a mature category, let's say like CRM, or VoIP phone system, or there's plenty of other ones, mature categories, lots of different players, high, uh, not necessarily high search volume, but it's sort of like something that people buy frequently, typically have competitive Google search and paid search type of deals. And so in here, the key point that I'm trying to make uh, is that the process of capturing demand is just as important as the channels. 
And so when we look into it, basically, I'm going to break this into three buckets. I'm going to break it into channels where people are before they get onto your web property, conversion, when they're on their web property, how to convert them. And then once they've converted, how to actually get them into a sales meeting where they have a high likelihood of purchasing. So just breaking down into three steps and it gets broken in a bunch of different places here and having a clear strategy across all three about what you're trying to accomplish, what types of buyers you want to send to your sales team and why having all that stuff locked in is really important. So on the channel side, it starts with intent. So a couple of key places where people are going to demonstrate clear intent to buy something inside of Google search, if they search for email phishing software, then that would indicate clearly based on the search that they have intent to understand more about some level of software. It's different than searching what is email phishing. If they search e what is email phishing, it could mean a lot. It could be a regular employee. It could be a B2C consumer level search. But if they search email phishing software or email phishing software for financial services or something like that, it demonstrates that they have a lot more intent to actually buy the software. So that's one example. Review sites is another one. So maybe that they're in the category of email phishing software on TrustRadius. I don't end up on random categories of sites for in a review site, just browsing. I'm there for a specific reason. I'm trying to get part of my buying process done. And that's why I'm there. If I even go to them, I don't actually use them all that often in my process, to be honest. But review sites is a big one. And then the last kind of like a, a, a third one, an elephant in the room here is intent data. And so to be clear, when you're using intent data, you are capturing demand. In order to generate the data, you must first have intent. And in order to have intent, you're, therefore you're capturing demand. So those three are examples. When you get those types of signals, what I'm focused on is people that have clear signals to buy something, not to learn more about something. From there, you're going to try if a Google search trying to be the first result or be the like link that it gets clicked on a paid search that then drives them somewhere on your website. And then from there, you need to decide what am I trying to have them do? It's crazy. If you go into Google search, you can search any type of company's name or any type of category and then search something like, I want to buy email phishing software or how much does email phishing software cost or how much does this brand's software cost? And then click on the first result in the Google, in Google search. And you would be amazed how many companies send you to a download an ebook off of that search. It makes no fucking sense. When somebody is searching about buying something, help them buy. But people just have blanket, no matter what they search, we're just going to drive them into an ebook download so we can have as cheap of CPL as possible. It's like, we need to get over this. So I'd encourage people to run that experiment, run it for your own company, run it for your competitors, run it for other companies and see how many companies screw this stuff up. It's like not rocket science. It could be an easy fix there. So we need to be able to send people when they want to buy to give them the opportunity to take an action that aligns with what they want to do. And so because us, our strategy here is only bidding on high intent terms or referral traffic from high intent sources like review sites, that when those people come in, we're trying to capture demand and get them into a demo, most likely mid-market enterprise SaaS. There's no, no PLG motion oftentimes. So in there, we're trying to get them into a demo. So having them 
on a page that then teaches them things and then gives them the option to convert on a demo would be a logical next step. So on the conversion, you have to know what is the conversion type that I'm going for? What do I want this person to do based on what, where they're coming from or what intent they've shown? And then from there becomes the process, which is a place that I talk about a ton because companies just, when I want to buy something, they can't do it right. And when our, some of our customers are, we're driving a bunch of demos and things like that with high intent buyers and they can't convert them into meetings. And so it's just like, there's a lot of times where companies just can't seem to figure this out because they treat every MQL like they're the same. So they got 10,000 shitty leads over here, downloading eBooks and spam from Google ads and shit like that. And then you got a hundred buyers that are saying, Hey, I want a demo. They're qualified and they really want to buy. And they came through sources like organic search or direct traffic or branded paid search. And they just mix them together to 10,100 leads and the hundred that are good never get touched. Makes no sense. Companies are spending like two years building their fucking lead scoring model and they can't figure this out. So on the process side, we need to figure out once they convert on the form, how do we most efficiently based on their level of intent, qualification, firmographic qualification, et cetera, how do we get them into the meeting? What we do here and what I've recommended to a lot of companies, if they can start to simplify their sales territories and simplify how they think about this follow-up process, that it would make the most sense for a qualified buyer. Let's say you're selling email phishing software and you got a whatever VP of InfoSec. I don't even know who the buyer is here. VP of InfoSec, we'll just pretend, goes and fills out this form. Like, I don't know, wouldn't you want to put a calendar link there so that they can book a meeting with their exact rep? We know we have their work email address. We know where they work. We know what state they're located in based on the IP address that they submitted from. We have a bunch of data. If you enriched it, you'd have way more. We can figure out who their rep is. If it's a named account, we already know that based on what's in our CRM. We put a calendar link for the right person, right? So much technology out there, but we can't seem to figure out how to use technology to do something like this to make it easier for our customers to buy. And then they book the link on the calendar and then we don't need an SDR to follow up. There's no outreach sequences. There's no back and forth on email and your show rates and conversion rates go through the roof. We're above 95% show rate for qualified meetings to book this way. And I was doing an analysis with a company last week, December, 4% of qualified demos made it to a stage one opportunity. And in January, 6%. That number should be well above 40. Ours for, if you're looking at stage one, ours is above 95%. And so those are the three steps, right? Like, so when we talk about capturing demand, typically I'm highly focused on the channel piece of it, but the channel piece of it, in my view, is actually a very, I think a lot of companies spend overspend on search, right? Potentially overspend on review sites. They spend a lot of money on the channels, but having a strategy that's aligned with the right conversion points and the right process to actually move that from ad to pipeline, there's several other steps in the process that people need to think about for capturing demand. And then if you're able to smooth that whole process out so that when you get a hundred demo requests through your website, you know that you're going to get 45 qualified opportunities and, and then you start to scale it up, you get way higher efficiency than if you started to scale it when you got a hundred demo requests and you got five qualified opportunities. You get what I'm saying? As you go from a hundred demo requests to 200 to 300, 
the efficiency of that first hundred, the percentage of what you convert continues to magnify and amplify the results. And so this is a, process, a concept that I talk about, like before you scale anything, whether it's your Google ads account, whether it's trying to get, you know, going add a bunch of media dollars to go from trying to get in a multi-channel mix, trying to go from a hundred demos to 200 or scale LinkedIn ads from 10,000 to 200,000 or whatever you're trying to do. It's got to work at a low spend before it scales. If it doesn't work at 10,000, there's no way it's working at 200,000. All it does is just amplify how bad the the performance of those things are. And in order to go from 10,000 to 200,000, you need to figure out a ton of stuff, process, like operations. You're going to hit a bunch of barriers and things when it gets inefficient. And so closing out here on this topic, channels, conversion, and then process, handoff, whatever you want to call that, having all those things seamless, I think is just a huge opportunity. And uh, in my view, table stakes, I'm quite surprised that companies still don't spend enough time focused on the inbound customer experience, which should be your number one generating revenue channel by far. pause there and see if people have questions we want to talk through in more detail capturing demand also if there's some new faces on here there's no dumb questions and so if uh, i we went back to basics so if there's people that have sort of like a more elementary question i'd be more than i'd be pumped to field that so other people can learn too this created a bunch of chatter and so i've got three people lined up with some really good questions all on capturing demand so austin i want to bring you on first i'm unmuting you now welcome to the show hey megan hey chris yeah just question um if you're starting essentially from scratch you know if there's not like a huge existing uh, marketing effort within an organization and you're trying to kind of get things started, let's say for like the first six months, would you spend, be like, what percentages of effort would you spend on, say, capturing demand versus generating demand? I know that generating demand for an organization long term is going to be, you know, the most impactful, but if you're trying to make a difference in the first six months, like where would you spend that effort? Um, assuming there's already you know, demand in that category for that. particular. Okay. Yeah. That was the first question I was going to ask is like, if you're trying to create a new category, like some of the companies that we work with, there's no search volume for what they're selling. Right. Right. And so if there's no search volume and there's not people out there because they don't know what to look for, then you allocate a hundred percent into generating demand so that people actually come and look for you. If you're in a mature category, like the CRM category, then it starts to shift a little bit. Although like, I've been talking about this for a long time. I'm going to drive the point home again. Like HubSpot should be doing way better than they are. I know people are pumped about their stock price, but they're really missing the boat here because the market generally still thinks of them as an SMB CRM or an SMB marketing automation that integrates with Salesforce. Their product Mm -hmm. has come such a long way over the past three to five years, but all they do is sit back and wait for people to search for CRM. They never go out and actively market to buyers. They should be communicating with the whole market all the time about why they're a better enterprise solution than Marketo for all the reasons they are, simplicity, other things like that. They should be marketing about why they can be a full stack CRM and marketing automation and not have most use cases are integrating HubSpot with Salesforce, not using HubSpot full stack. And it's their fault. 
it's their fault for how they how they do marketing. They should be out there generating demand for their product. The category has demand, and then they become a commodity player within that category. They lose the sales force every time. Um, but to get back onto your question, let's say that there's existing demand for it. It becomes like a, a split to me. So at the beginning, it's like, I'm going to try and get one or two create demand channels starting to roll because there's a time clock on those. And so I'm going to start to get stuff into the market and learn. But then I'm refocusing my efforts to basically trying to understand and capture all available demand. So, and that's, so running experiments, setting up Google paid search, uh, review sites, conversion rate optimization, lead handoff optimization. If you don't have a lot of inbound flow, one of the benefits here is that if you're starting from scratch, you can build it the right way first. There's plenty, mm-hmm. tons of companies that have 30 SDRs and whatever, 45 AEs. And their whole process post-conversion is so messed up because everything's complex and they can't turn it back. But for you, you can build it the right way the first time, which is like a high intent conversion submits a demo form and they're qualified. Forget the MQL to SQL, forget the follow-up SDR emails, have them book a meeting directly after they fill it out, run automation, create a stage one opportunity. And it's sitting in there in queue for your AE, just like you had that old broken process where the SDR calls, qualifies, books the meeting, all that stuff happens automatically. You just drop a stage one opportunity right on there with a calendar with a qualified buyer. So I would do that. And then what you're trying to figure out in capture demand is like, how much should I be spending here? Because there is a clear cap of what you should be spending on something like Google search or review sites. Most companies don't respect the cap, but there is a clear cap. If you look at high intent searches where people that are actually saying that they want to buy from going from event management software to, and then companies, because they just want to waste money on Google, they go to bid on terms like how to run an event. 25 or 50,000 searches a month, just wasting $7 each time, waste of money. So you're basically trying to figure out how much you should spend on capturing demand. And then from there, once you've sort of normalized and stabilized that, so to answer your question directly, you're doing both of these in parallel. I'm starting to get generating demand going, which I'm looking for positive signals, like I kind of talked about in stacking growth last week. I'm trying to figure out what should I be appropriately spending on capturing demand. And then once I've figured that out, it's 100% on generating demand with small optimizations on capture. So there's no, there's no real like 70, 30, 50, 50, 80, 20. I don't really have that because it's pretty situational dependent. The key is that like get capture demand going and then shift all your focus to generating demand because capture demand channels are uh, simple. They don't require a ton of ongoing maintenance and stuff like that when you're generating demand. It's just completely different. I can't believe people still treat paid search and paid social the same way. Just completely different. Like on paid search, set it, forget it, look at the data, make some optimizations every once in a while. Paid social, like you got to create content every day. You got to build new campaigns. You can't set it and forget it because once people see the same ad, they're really annoyed with you. And so there's just like a different level of energy and effort that goes into the two. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. That's kind of what I thought you would say, but it's nice to hear it. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Happy to help Austin. All right. All right. Thanks, Austin. 
Um, all right, Megan, not me, but another Megan, you had a great question as well. I'm going to bring you on live to ask. Good. I'm meeting you now. Welcome to the show, Megan. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Hey, Megan. Uh, hi. So my question is kind of two part. Um, the first part of the question is what to do with more general type of category searches. Um, like where would you send them in terms of what content to give them? And then the second part is would you set up forms and gate content just for the more higher intent type of searches or would, how would you approach that? So give me an example of the like general category term. I guess the one that you were using um, as an example, like email phishing just as a search like that, or, mm -hmm. you know, something along yeah. those lines where they're not saying they're looking for a software necessarily, but maybe they're just trying to learn more about the category. Yeah. In paid search, these are called keyword traps. I don't know. Somebody in the DGL community, go to SEMrush and look at how many monthly searches there are for email phishing. And then drop it in the chat so I can see it. It's probably in the hundreds of thousands. There's no intent on that term to buy something. Anybody can search it. It's a general term. It's getting hundreds of thousands of searches a month. It has nothing to do with software, right? So like any person could be like, what is email phishing? And then email phishing phrase match would catch that and you would be buying what is email phishing for someone that's looking for a blog and has no understanding or intent to buy something. And so for the general category, I've walked into accounts that sell some type of finance or accounting software and they're bidding on the word budgeting. And then you're getting people that are looking for like mint.com or trying to figure find a spreadsheet that so they can do their personal budget and you're selling a hundred thousand dollar finance SaaS tool buying those terms burning literally taking money around and just lighting it on fire so i personally when i do this i don't bit like there's traps there that are extreme not all categories are like that some of them are especially when there's like a b to c b to b overlap and it's not clear and it could be a consumer search that typically is high volume yeah, so 52,000 monthly searches for email phishing. I bet less than 1% of them have any intent, have even the potential to buy anything that's email phishing software related. So it's just wasteful. Thanks for that, Jess. So I personally don't bid on like what I would call mid or low intent terms, like email phishing. If there was a search for CRM, I wouldn't buy it especially in the CRM category, it's gonna be like, whatever, 40 something dollars probably. So I stay away from those terms in paid search. I would encourage companies to consider trying to win there in organic search. But when I think about generate like demand strategy, I'm trying to win at the low funnel. If it's non-branded, I'm trying to win when they're ready to buy. If someone's searching email phishing software, and they're in Google, it's typically because they're looking to buy something and they don't know who to buy it from. And so I want to spend whatever $15 for that click, unlike spending $10 for email phishing. I'm making up these numbers and costs and things like that just for the sake of it. So I'm typically not bidding on those terms at all. And instead, I'm taking that money and I'm going to go and create demand so that the next wave of people that come in to buy are not searching email phishing software, they're searching my brand. So that's sort of like the flow. I know a ton of companies are like, you know, 
email phishing. We want to buy that. We want to get them into an ebook. We're going to put them through email nurtures. They're going to eventually hit a lead score and then we'll call them. But I've audited the quality of the people that fill out these forms that come from Google ads this way. If you collect any reasonable information about these people, first off, they allow Gmails. So it's a bunch of trash. Stripper803 at gmail.com, things like that from Google ads, downloading eBooks, when you, especially when you put on max conversions or other like Google algorithm hacks to max, maximize for vanity metrics and platform, it'll drive a bunch of trash in there. And if you go and audit those types of lead lists, the job titles are not even close. You're getting a ton of Gmails. And then, but the people that are running the ads aren't looking in the CRM. They're not looking at who's filling out the form. They're just looking in Google and they see, oh, 300 conversions this month, $13 per conversion. Okay, I'm going to double the budget next month. And then I need to go in and I need to go into the CRM and look at all the people that are attributed to that campaign that are leads and show the CMO that they're driving hundreds of spam trash subscribers that don't want to buy anything that would never be qualified to buy anything and show them that it's a complete waste of money. Those are extreme cases, but those are things that I see a lot because the people that are usually running the ads are not connected to what's happening in the CRM. And that disconnect is very large and frankly not needed anymore. Um, you had another question on, I think, low intent. Why don't we, get, why don't we jump over there? Yeah, well, I think you kind of answered that. If the intent isn't there, don't bother with it. But my question was mostly just around would you offer some type of content that would always need to be gated or would you offer them free mm. content and then, you know, perhaps retarget them to come back and fill out a form the next time? It's funny. Cause if you think about like the odds of someone that are making that search, right? There are some categories where if you're making that search, you're pretty much guaranteed to be a qualified buyer, but those categories are rare in my experience. And so oftentimes in Google, you can't control what types of accounts they're coming from. You can't control who's actually filling it out, what job titles, whether they can buy from you, anything like that. But on LinkedIn ads, you can. In Facebook ads with a targeting tool, you can. There's a lot of places where you can control the targeting in a much better way. And so I'd prefer to handle these types of like, quote unquote, early buying stage components in places where I know that the ad and the money that I'm spending is going to somebody that could buy my stuff. Um, and in Google, you don't have that control. And as you go more and more broad and more and more quote unquote upper funnel, you get further and further away. The risks of the people that are clicking or searching the ads becomes less and less likely that they are qualified to buy your stuff or looking for what you do. So I just choose to use other means to get to those people at that stage of the journey. All right. Awesome. Megan, are you all set? Did you have a follow-up? I'm good. Thank you. All right. Great to have you, Megan. All right. We've got a couple more demand capture questions. Nicholas is up next. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Hey, Megan. Uh, Chris, this question might be a little bit repetitive to what you just asked, so I kind of want to spin it. I had a somewhat similar question, and I'll I'll change low intent to a different marketing jargon term, and maybe hey, this I'm will good. help. Maybe this will help a little bit. Uh, when I think about running ads, I, I've typically gone the route of like, well, we're going to go for more top of funnel type terms. This might not be as broad as like CRM or mm -hmm. anything, but it might be something that's not exact, but there's like a middle ground between like CRM and 
how much does it cost to buy this CRM? Long tail top of funnel. Right. Um, I mean, how much does it cost to buy this software? I would consider a pretty low funnel. No, that's what I mean. There's like, yeah. a, there's like, a, there's like a middle ground between like super yeah, yeah. broad and like super high intent. And so, yeah. can you give you an example have, just for like the listeners and and me? <laughs> well, yeah. So like CRM is super broad, but if I say like just best CRM or uh, CRM or cheap CRM or mm-hmm. stuff like that, where it's yeah. not as specific to maybe what you're doing, but it's not exactly super broad either. Mm-hmm. Showing some level, right? But it's more, it's it's closer to the top than it is to the bottom. Yeah. You ever run ads or suggest running ads for those types of things, knowing that you're not going to try to get information so you can send them a bunch of emails, but more so so that you could try to remarket that those audiences, you know, those audience with more ads and try to filter through some of those people, just, just building the audience so you can mm-hmm. kind of filter through out of that. Yeah. So if you look at what I call like the tier ones, which would be like modifiers of software, pricing, platform, vendor, comparison, you know what I mean? Like that type of stuff, non-branded high intent search modifiers, I would call that tier one. Once tier one's maxed out, a lot of our customers ask, ask us to try and test what you're asking for, which is like tier two. I would call it like it's close, but there's not clear intent in it. They're not looking for software. They haven't indicated pricing. Like best CRM would be an interesting one. I That's like right on the edge for me. I'm trying to think of a couple other examples for people. We also do like competitors and stuff. You know, we'll go after, you know, branded competitor. Totally. Terms yeah. Yeah. I'm leaving, and- I'm leaving uh, competitors and branded terms out of this for right now. And so if you're in non-branded tier two, like best CRM or something like that, we'll test that stuff once budget has been capped in sort of like the high intent terms. And we have clear sense of like the effectiveness and the, of each of the, of all the terms that are high intent. I typically find that those end up being a net negative if you look at it against things that matter, like cost per qualified opportunity based on that ad group or things like that. It's things that we definitely test and it's something that's important if you want to continue to scale out Google ads. But I find that there is a very sharp diminishing returns in Google ads. And once I see that sort of like sharp decline, then I try and move to somewhere else because Google ads is a mature platform for a couple of the other reasons I mentioned. You don't have clear targeting. You don't have some of those things where like part of the way that you ask your question is like, I want to get this person on that's searching best CRM onto my website so that I can retarget them, all including the assumption that they fit the ICP that would be most likely to buy your CRM, which at this point, it would be hard. It'd be, it'd be really hard, right? So now you're on like a quote, quote unquote, wild goose chase, right? You have random people that are coming off of Google that you don't know whether or not they're qualified to buy and then you're retargeting them. And instead, what I would do is I would get my ICP and then I would build a targeting list in LinkedIn ads and I wouldn't wait for them to search best CRM. I would go and tell them why our CRM is the best in LinkedIn. So it's just a little bit of a different way to, to look at it. Thanks, Nicholas. Follow-up question? Are you good? Uh, I think I'm good. I'm going to bring um, Austin back on. He has more questions. They're good ones. Welcome back, Austin. And then we're going to bring a first-time joiner, Mark, um, right after, which I'm excited about. Austin, you're back. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, just kind of like a... 
a follow-up question to my previous question. Um, when it comes to content creation for demand gen or demand capture, like assuming that an organization doesn't have a whole lot of like content creation muscles built up. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, content's kind of the gas that feeds demand gen, whether you're in the capture or if you're in the generation stage. Like does uh, the C-suite, A, the C-suite buy-in actually matter on content or can you do it with a team that's like passionate, a bit, passionate and knowledgeable about that? And you, know, you can kind of use like result to demonstrate value to the C-suite. I guess the core of the question is like, assuming you have like six or 12 months max to demonstrate efficacy, would you try to go like the agency route for content? Would you try to hire and train? Also assuming that subject matter expertise is kind of an important part for this category. Do you mind giving me like a little bit of a deeper detail so I can really help you? So like you got, let's just pretend it's 12 months for sake of the conversation. What do you need to do from now until then? What needs to change? Increased marketing source pipeline and revenue. Do you know by how much? Um, let's call it times 1.5 ish. Okay. You're doing it. Let's pretend you're doing, you said there's not a lot right now. So let's pretend that you're at a quarter mil a quarter and you need to go to 750 K a quarter, which is a little bit more than a 50. That's actually three X. Let me read you the math here. You got 500 K and you need to go to 750 K, which would be a 50% increase. Close enough. Yep. Okay. And uh, you said that subject matter expertise is important. Could you give me a little bit more detail on like the, either the buyer or company or something like that? So usually pretty complex buying decision maker committees and well-established industries usually. Yeah. Just like assuming like there's not, there's not a whole lot of content creation going on mm-hmm. currently. And like in order to, execute effective demand gen obviously need to take that from zero to hundred percent pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. How much does the product cost? Uh, let's say quarter million dollars recurring uh, annual revenue, something like that. Okay. So 250 K ARR. So we have to go from a, so in this example, just I'm calling it out cause it may not be realistic. So I just want to make sure that we're on the same page here. So at the 250K deal size, you're currently doing 500K. You need to get to 750, which would mean going from two deals to three. So that's mildly exaggerated, but that's not like way off. It's not way off. We just need need to get a couple more deals rolling every quarter within six to 12 months. Yeah. Yeah, this is super achievable. So... What's your role in it all? Do you consider yourself sort of like the orchestrator? Like you're trying to put you're off, you're not the subject matter expert because of how you asked the question. So you're trying to figure out how to architect the strategy and put the pieces in place and decide kind of like pulling the strings, trying to figure out how everything comes together. Is that your role? Yeah, that's exactly right. Like minus the actual specific industry expertise, like basically everything else. Have you communicated with your buyers? Do you have an understanding of what they're like and what they think, or have you gotten that information second source through sales or customer success or product? I would say, yeah, secondhand at, at best. Okay. I'm not going to go down the track of customer research because I just talk about it so much, but I would encourage you to sort of like what I call take a couple steps back in order to go way forwards, which would mean just like taking a couple of weeks to 
try and get on calls or things like that with five people that currently pay you money and five people that could be your customer from accounts that could be customers but don't pay you money and just try to get a sense of what they're like what they think about the category what they think about your cut your company your customers what are the things that they like don't believe in that they need to in order to consider your product stuff like that i would consider that and think it would be really helpful especially given the time window that you're working in if you're working in a, in a two-month timeline It'd be a different story, but you got six to 12 months. I think you do have some time to try to work through that exercise. You might get the one unlock that you need. Like, hey, our people are on Reddit. Let's go all in on our Reddit strategy, right? You might get something like that. I don't know. So uh, from here, I'm going to assume that you don't have a subject matter expertise in-house, which is sort of like what I was like for the beginning of uh, the company I worked at called Vapotherm. And so to get the engine rolling about the first 10 episodes that I did was me interviewing an external what i would call a kol a key opinion leader somebody that my customers my potential customers trust and listen to these people are typically i I used to identify them back then it would kind of work now on social but i used to identify them back then who are the people that are speaking and making the presentations at the main conferences that my buyers go to in the tracks related to my product so who are those people And then I just had them come on. I would actually, at this point, I would fly to them wherever they were and I would record a 90 minute video interview. And then I had the video interview. I had the podcast. I could chop it up and run ads against it. And I strategically picked the people that I invited on there because for the people that did clinical trials related to my product were evangelist customers at some point. So well-respected people in the industry that my customers listen to and use our product in their hospital and call the shots on how it gets used on patients. And so I picked a couple of those people and then I was able to just pull out the info because I understood customers well enough. I was able to pull out the information from them that I knew that the people that didn't believe in the product that I was selling, I knew what they needed to learn. And so I pulled out that information from people that they trusted rather than coming from me or someone that works in the company. And so that's like level two, like orchestration. You know what I mean? It's like, who am I going to pick? What information do my customers need? How do I get that information out of this person? That's very psychology driven and things like that. And that can work highly effectively. You can do a couple of those interviews. You could spend a 250K deal size. You could spend a very little amount on LinkedIn ads, highly targeted at the people that you're selling to, like hundreds of dollars a week to run these videos that you created with people that they trust and just get that in, get that important information to people. I think just driven off the awareness of that, like to get to where you need to go, you need one play to work. So you don't need a bunch of different stuff. I think that, uh, KOL marketing through video on LinkedIn would be the first thing that I try. And while you're doing it, you could also publish that on a podcast. You could take the video, you could put it, break it down into organic social. Your, if you have sales dev reps or BDRs, then those people could be leveraging that as a way to share content with people in their outreach instead of asking for a meeting. There's a lot of different ways to use it. So, if possible, you would leverage internal subject matter expertise, try to get them into situations where there's productive dialogue going, republish that, distribute that. And do you really see any value in like an an external agency at this point? Or do you think most of this could be done internally? I would do it yourself. 
it was funny. I was looking at it today. I was going back through some of my best performing posts and I was just scrolling through and just by chance of how you asked the question, one of the ones I was looking by got tons of engagement like six months ago. And it was the five reasons that you must create content in-house. I just feel like content is the, the advantage. It's how you get everything done in marketing. So to not have that skill, to not have possession of the competitive advantage, I think is a huge business risk. And I also don't think that it, uh, I don't think it comes even close to performing at the level of if you know how to do it, then it's not like it's not even close for what an agency could do because of the connection to the customer. If you don't understand your customers and you don't have internal subject matter expertise, then hiring an agency would probably work better. But if you have one or two or ideally both of those things, you should, you should architect it and do it on your own is my view. And it doesn't need to be an internal subject. It's preferred sometimes if it's an internal subject matter expert. But I had a lot of success using external people, like they're third parties. They don't work for my company. My buyers trust them. They speak at conferences. They use our product. And those were really good people to interview for the podcast. Yeah, we internally and externally, I think we have the subject matter expertise in spades. So that kind of gives me the direction I needed. So appreciate it. Cool, man. Happy to help. Thanks, Austin. I'm just going to throw this quick one in on KOLs just to round out this topic. Um, Kate asks, what are the hooks that you use to get a KOL to interview with you? Relationships. Relationships or awareness. So the way that we were able to get the first couple there onto the podcast is because our company had great relationships with them already because they are drive buying decisions for a lot of our buyers and they speak at conferences and they use our products. So we had existing relationships with a couple. And then if you can get embedded into the community, which is what I did then is I had a couple of people that I was friends with that then at the conferences, I would go and hang out with them later that night and see what they were doing. They would introduce me to 10 more people and then I would meet those people. And then I would figure out from there, like I would build a couple more relationships and then use that. So um, in-person relationships can help. And then just using the, hey, emergency medicine physician at blah, blah, blah hospital. I was wondering if you want to come on, your, come on this podcast and share your experience about when you did this clinical trial that you're proud of. The last two people we had on the podcast were these two people who you know and trust. Would you be interested in coming on there? So the first like couple can sometimes feel... Overwhelming is not the right word, but the word escapes you right now. You can feel a little bit reluctant to ask people because you think they might say no because they'll look at the podcast and there's no episodes up. But I can say pretty confidently that most people never even look at what the podcast is before they say yes. Um, So I think you could be overthinking it. Um, I would try 10 people. I would make sure the podcast name has something that they would be excited to be a part of. I would keep it brief. I would be specific about what level of expertise that they have that they can bring. So, hey, John, wanted to know if you wanted to join me uh, as a guest on the Emergency Medicine Physician podcast. I think that clinical trial you did in Atlanta in 2018 was so impactful and our listeners would love to hear about it. Let me know. Thanks. Just keep it brief and Maybe you got to send 10 messages before you get a yes, but I don't think it will take very long to get a yes with something like that. Yeah, I agree. People are usually pretty flattered to be asked and many will say yes. 
All right. We have one of my favorite types of DGLers, longtime listener, first time at the live event. And Mark has a question. So Mark, I want to bring you on to ask your question live. Welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Uh, yeah. I've been listening to the Devan Gen podcast for a long time. Amazing content. And I've been wanting to ask this question for a, a very long time. And so I thought I've got to jump on and, and give it a crack. So I'm where, where are you from? Sydney, Australia. Nice. I love having people from all over the world. It's amazing. Great to have you here for the first time. Yeah. What's your question? So I'll give a bit of context to the question before I build up to it. So I've worked in the construction space for the past 10 years, specifically around technology. Two years ago when COVID hit, everything came to a halt and I wanted to figure out how I could start my own business of some sort. And so no, I started doing exactly what you were just explaining before, reaching out to industry experts in the construction and equipment rental industry and asking them to come on a podcast to share their journey and experiences and whatnot. We've been doing that for 80 episodes every week, for 80 weeks straight now. Damn, um, nice. And uh, yeah, we, we record 60-minute episodes, guests from Australia, US, Canada, New Zealand, UK, all over the world starting to do in-person podcasts. So it's really building up a bit of a brand now in the industry because mm -hmm. there isn't, there isn't a, an industry-specific podcast in that niche. So it really got a strong... Yeah, I like, where you're, um, I like where you're going with this. And the, the consistency to do that 80 weeks in a row, man, you, you know it just as much as me. Like A lot of people can't get there. So you have, you're way ahead of a lot of people because a lot of people would never even get to episode 80. So I yeah, love what I'm episode, hearing. Episode 30, I think, is where it really... You either quit or you keep going. <laughs> That's uh, so yeah. So been doing that real hard. Sixty minute episodes, chopping it up into six to eight bits of content, sharing on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Uh, found out about LinkedIn paid, so we've been doing that for the past six months and really doing targeting because we can target the listeners of the podcast to come on. And so just some stats just to give context. So we get about one hundred twenty thousand impressions a month on LinkedIn and around. 20 to 30% of people that listen to the clips listen to the whole thing. So getting mm -hmm. very high engagement rate. So the question on this is the second part of the business that I'm building up now is actually a tech company, a SaaS product. Yeah, first, before, we go, before we go there, like how are you making money, right? Like you're, you're running ads for the podcast. Are you just doing yeah. that to get awareness or have you monetized yet? Yeah, so I monetize. So I've got sponsors that are associated with the podcast cool. that, that sell either software or construction equipment into that industry. Great. Okay. And that's the main so revenue stream of, of tech sponsorships. Yep. So they, they cool. sponsor like the intros, mid-rolls, mid and then mm -hmm. also some of the stuff on LinkedIn. How many downloads do you, or do you get or how many listeners, subscribers do you have? So on Spotify and in Apple, they're probably doing like maybe 2,000 a month, like not that, yeah. that high. LinkedIn is where the real numbers are, which is probably like maybe, yeah, maybe like 45,000 video plays a month. Nice. Does that go through your profile or through like a company brand page company. type thing? Okay, brand. great. All right. Sorry for the deviation. Let's get to the next part right. of the question. So, so I'm the host of the podcast. And so I'm becoming like the face, the brand of that. And it sort of just opens up doors. And I would I'd provide like that same advice that you mentioned before, when you want to get people on a podcast, reference people they know that have come on and they almost feel like left out if like they can't go on the podcast as well and tell their story. So that's some really good advice there. But so I've built up this, this brand in this industry and now I want to 
start a, oh, I've already started a tech startup to sell software into that same market. And people keep saying to me, it's amazing that I've got this community of people that listen to the podcast and now I've got a, a tech product that's coming over the top. My question is, do I make the tech company the main sponsor? Do I take that same effort that I put into the marketing and the podcast and create a podcast just for the tech company itself? I'm not sure how to like merge the two together without coming across as like uh, a big switch, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, people would feel the direction shifts, right? Because you went from like all about great information to all about this tech company now, right? So listeners would feel that and it would definitely impact the success of the current thing that you've built. That's for correct, sure. Yeah. But I love this overall strategy, audience and community first, followed by, you know, product. It's a good strategy. So I'll just brainstorm with you because there's, I don't think there's, there's a right or wrong way to handle this. One of the things that I would, I would consider is the audience that listens to the podcast is the same people that would buy the software or is it like a subset of the audience or is it the exact same, audience? Same, same people. Yeah. I would keep them separate from a perspective. People are going to start to figure out that like you who runs the podcast is also the person that I'm seeing talk about the tech product, right? So people will connect the dots on their own, but I think that having them be sort of rel relatively independent will keep it doing good. And then you can always drop it's kind of like what we do here, although we started the podcast after the company had started. So it's a little bit different, but like you don't hear that often me talking about anything that we really, we really do. So there's, pro there's probably a blend where you could start having people that are customers or solving the same problem that your product solves. Or there's ways that you can weave in content that's more aligned to what the business outcomes are. But I almost feel like you've proven that you know what you're doing on the content side. So I would keep the one that's working going, keeping it like that. And then I would think about creating a different one that's aligned to the narrative of your business. Because you have all the mechanics, right? You know how to edit the clips. You know how to get the podcast. You know how to get the guest. You seem like a great public speaker. So I feel like you could actually start to shift your energy to a different one that aligns with the business out narrative that you're trying to tell and have both of them running in parallel. Yeah, the, the idea I had was to make this software company one of the sponsors of the podcast, just so their That's, name is associated. You could definitely do that for sure. And I would be the, you know what I mean? The, the intro placement, the best placement in the podcast, yeah. And then the way that I was thinking about building up content, which it sounds like probably is the best direction, was every time we sign up a new customer to use the software, we want to interview them on why they chose our software, how they use it, what problems they've solved, and then create a marketing engine with content from that on a separate podcast that's dedicated to our software. And then the paid thing that you figured out on LinkedIn with that stuff, a good edited customer interview about why they chose to buy that stuff and the results they've seen over the first 30 days or whatever you want to do. Mash a couple of those interviews together into one consistent storyline and then run paid behind that that you've already figured out. I think that you'd get probably close to 30% view through again. And I think the what you're monetizing, you have just way higher upside on the tech. Mm. Once you figure out the engine, which you have figured out, right? How do I create a podcast? How do I repurpose it? How do I distribute it? How do I get people to engage and like it and stuff like that? Once you have that figured out, you can go and do it for anything. It's mm. a total skill, right? So now you just need to think about 
okay, so how do I use this skill to now I need to tell a different story to the same audience? Yeah, no, I think that's correct. I think, yeah, I don't want to tarnish that brand that I've built up and want to keep that going because it's another source of income, separate business altogether. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just It just complements the, the new startup as well. Yeah. Cool, man. I'm happy for you. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, Love thanks for your progress. content. Your content is amazing. Happy to help. Keep it up. Thanks, Mark. Great to have you. Let me get one more question in from Alicia and then let's go back to the agenda. We'll pick up let's a topic right after Alicia. So Alicia, welcome to the show. I liked your question. Would love for you to ask live. I wanted to ask, you know, I'm really intrigued about the content that, you know, putting content on LinkedIn. What are like the must-have components of a good LinkedIn paid ad video as well as organic as we're kind of deconstructing this to apply the same strategy to our organization? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking for me, I'm I'm wanting to apply this probably to customers who are either talking generically about just hard problems they're solving, kind of loosely attaching it to my brand. And in other cases, perhaps actually talking about the value they've got by using our product. So I think the number one ingredient, or maybe they're sort of like one in the same, is that you need to understand the people that you're going after deeply, and then you need to be, and then they have to like what you're creating. So finding that match takes some time. And that's sort of like, that's where I'm at in TikTok right now. Like I don't exactly have ex- the right sort of cadence on format, confidence, copy, like what does the first three seconds need to be? What should the length be? There's a lot of sort of like experimentation that I did on LinkedIn that I got to figure out. Now I keep innovating that I'm doing on TikTok right now. So this is sort yeah. of like close for me. So the, the must have is that people need to want what you're providing, right? So if you had one where it's someone saying about like how much success they had on the uh, with the product, like it's, it'd be interesting. I don't know what would happen. Like if I went and interviewed one of our customers that had been really successful and then posted a video of him or her on my page, I don't know what how that would do. It'd be like, it's it's hard to think in my head about what would happen if I did that. And so there's like a testing component to it. When I think about the video side, here's a key point that I can help you with. I don't think differently between paid and organic. Okay. I w- that was one of my questions. Like, is it one and the same? It's paid is guaranteed distribution to exactly who you want. And I'm going to pay f- in order to get that, right? I'm going to yeah. pay about seven cents to give it to the CFO at a target account or whoever right. you're going after. Yeah. And organic is free. So, and I'm not paying for it, but I don't have any type of guarantee about who's actually going to see it. Yeah. And so the best strategy that I would use for your specific use case is I would figure out how to make it work in organic and then I would pump paid once it's proven to work. Yeah. What about length? Any tips on length? I post nine minute and 59 second videos because the 10 minutes, the limit and some, some of those are my best performing and I post things that are around a minute. So I think that it can vary mm-hmm. totally. Like the, I don't find length to be a, any type of correlation to the success of the video. Okay. It really is like the thing that is way more important than the length of the video is the copy above the fold. Yeah, that's true. Okay, fair. So like, I think people that post video undervalue how important the copy is. I posted a video and I've written at the top, like this was one of my best videos ever <laughs> and then nothing else. And I could take the exact same video and write thoughtful copy that has a hard hitting message at the beginning that people want to click see more. And 
not everyone watches the video, but the people that click see more, engage, maybe like or comment, even without watching the video, signal the algorithm, amplify it. So you need to focus, like you almost need to write the post as if there was no video and then add it to the video and assume people are going to consume both ways. And then do you feel like people, I don't know, I've always been really hesitant with Facebook. Do you feel like it's an invasion of your personal when you start getting ads for your professional thing? Like I work in security and I just, I've always shied away because I feel like it's such a breach, but maybe that's just a personal, <laughs> like, I don't want my work. I mean, yeah. I, like, I actually do have some overlap, but not a lot, you know, what it, what it comes down to is you got to understand your customer and you got to be able to put something in there that they want. That's yeah. the gap, right? People use yeah. ads to collect leads or push stuff that people don't want. And so like, there's a, there's several ads that I get clear bits. One of them, I think they do a great job on Instagram ads. I'm not a customer of theirs, but I know a lot about their, I know a ton more details about their product than most MarTech tools because none of, none of the other ones market well. Mm -hmm. So they're like, I think that there's definitely a way to use that distribution mechanism that has a lot of people that use it. The second thing to think about whether it's security or anywhere else is that if you think more broadly about the buying group or the buy, I might frame it up better as the buying department, like you're going after the finance department or the security department, that there's a ton of manager and director level people that you could get to on that channel that would probably yeah. want it if it was positioned the right way. So yeah, we do more of like our influencer content, people who influence the buying cycle there or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So I think the the key there is trying to figure out how you need to adapt content in order to make it work on a platform that feels a little bit more personal. Okay. Thanks. Some food for thought. Yeah. Great chat. Thanks, Alicia. Nice to have you on the show. All right. That AMA went a little longer than I planned, but let's meander back to the agenda. Which of the last two are calling your name, Oof. Chris? I think I'm going to kick the uh, GTM one to next week. That's a I'll open next week with that one. It's a long one. Sounds um, good. Cool. The the last one came from a question. Do you have that pulled up? The um the video marketing question. Yeah. Let me look it a up. Screenshot from LinkedIn that came through. Okay. So, Chris, listen to your podcast every time. Okay. I have two questions. Can you do a podcast where you discuss specifically how you see video marketing working within your dark social methods? Maybe companies who are doing a great job of this or who are implementing new techniques. Um, I think the other question is unrelated. So (laughs) I remember reading this being like, there's only really one question in here for Demand on Live. So it's how does video marketing play into dark social? It's the like the catalyst for everything that's happening in the growth of my company. Right. So like, just think about the, a key part of dark social is the network effect that someone is more likely to cons that's never heard of me or knows who my company is, is way more likely to consume my video when it gets shared by to them by somebody that they trust than just seeing it in the feed. And so through the network effect, you get exposed and you get real deep views from when it gets shared from somebody else that you don't get when you send a cold email, when you do some other things like that. And so when you think I post a video on LinkedIn, the one that I posted today probably got 30,000 views. 
which means that there was more than 100,000 impressions, but they don't count video views the same way as impressions, which is why people don't post video. I talk about it all the time. But it gets seen a ton more than what the view metrics have, but 30,000 people watch some level of the video. I don't know what the thing is, three seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds, I'm not sure. Those 30,000 people watch it. Then a subset of those people will click onto the top right and say, copy link to post. And then they'll take the post that I just had about how to think differently about ABM. They're going to take that post and then they're going to put it inside of their company's marketing Slack channel, their company's leadership Slack channel, a general Slack channel, any of those things, they're going to drop it in there. And then my piece of content from LinkedIn that already has 30,000 views is now getting into a specific organization Slack channel where people, other people are watching it, consuming it, and then potentially talking about it afterwards. So somebody takes my video and then gives it to all the decision makers at this company. It's the most valuable touch point ever. You're not, it's the, the most valuable thing that you could do in marketing is have somebody else take this video about your product, your category, something important that's relevant to your business and then give it to all the people that make decisions in the company about the stuff that you sell. And then imagine from the 30,000 people that watch the video, that happens, whatever, somewhere between 25 and 100 times per video. And then I do that four or five times a week. And that's just talking about the sharing in Slack channels, not talking about the people that talk about it in meetings, the people that bring up my content when they speak at live events or when they're at it within a community or then they share it in a Facebook group. So the video is the starting, like the content that you put out on social is the starting point, but a lot of the value gets generated out on the fringe. That's really like, it's dark social when it's in the feed. There's not a lot of tracking on attribution of just the in-feed engagement, right? You watch the video, no tracking on that. Even if you like the video, that's not getting pushed into marketing automation. You comment and have a back and forth with somebody else about the video. None of that's getting pushed in and measured by attribution software. But then once it starts getting shared in other places and spread and people start moving into word of mouth, there's definitely no tracking around that. That's all dark social. Nothing, of, but the thing is that none of that starts if you don't put the video there in the first place. So your job is to be the beginning part like you need to set the spark so that all that stuff happens. And I find video to be a really highly effective way to do it for a couple of reasons. There's so much more depth than a text post. I think a lot of people would agree with that from reading people's posts that post a lot. I believe that one of the core reasons why I've been able to be successful on LinkedIn is because I've moved into video a lot more aggressively than anyone else has. The second piece is that there's a known phenomenon, somebody in the, the chat I know is going to be able to, not, I never remember the name, but somebody does, where it feels like you know me because you've watched a couple of my videos so that when we have an initial conversation in real life, you feel differently about me than if you hadn't seen the videos. So there's a phenomenon there that creates affinity through video that you don't get through text and a profile picture. The third piece is that for me, it's way easier to create content through video than it is. I, I write too, but the writing happens after the video. The video is what creates the material that I can then write about. So the, it helps the creation process is easier when I do it this way as well. So those are, I think, some of the key parts of video marketing inside of dark social. The key one being that 
it's the seed that spreads all the other stuff that happens. And if you're not the person that's starting that, whether it's through video or any other type of content, if you're not getting it started, then dark social is not existent for you. I thought your point earlier about um, when you post your video content to pay just as much attention to the copy you post with it is super relevant. I do the same thing and it's really key. So it stands alone, but it's also so complimentary to text posts as well. Mm-hmm. Great answer. All right. One of our favorites, Matthew, has a tactical question. Bring him on next. Maybe. Maybe he's my closer tonight. I don't know. We'll see how we'll see, see how, how long this goes. There's more. Matthew, Maybe. welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Uh, first time, long time. How you doing? Hey, hey. Um, good to have you here. It's been a while since you've been uh, live on the show. Been hiding in the, in the chat. I always hide in the chat. Um, <laughs> it's kind of my thing. So I have a I have a Google Ads form question. Do you look at Google Ads forms as reducing friction or do you look at it as linkedin lead gen level low intent or neither Mm. to be honest i haven't experimented deeply with these but my uh gut reaction when they launch this feature is that it's going to drive a bunch of trash think about it everyone can think about this think about you you're in google and you're looking to buy attribution software, whatever you're looking to buy attribution software, you go in there and you type in best attribution software on the market. And then an ad pops up and you're like, Oh, I searched best attribution software, but I don't know which one is the best. And then you see an ad and you click on it and ask you to automatically submit a form. And I'm like, no, I don't want to submit the form. I want to learn. I want to see if this thing is right for me. Right? So it almost is like it's premature it reduces friction. So you get someone's email address, but nobody's going to have success calling that person and closing a deal. They're not educated enough. The only time to, that it would make sense to do it is in branded search. And even then, I think it's hard to figure out like, are they already a customer? Are they looking to figure out how to log in? Like, where are they in the journey is hard to tease out based on those things. So I am, uh, while not having heavily tested it, I'm not a Google ads lead gen type of guy. And uh, my, my gut tells me that it would be highly ineffective, especially if you're looking to pass those people to a sales team afterwards. Response, Matthew? No, no, no response. I'm just, I'm <laughs> looking at it and considering it, but uh, I'm kind of, kind of resistant. There's kind of other things I would like to look at before moving to that. Give it a shot. See what happens. Come and report back. I, I might. Yeah. Good to have you, Matthew. Thank Get you. back in the chat. Post for I'll me. Go. <laughs> uh, I'll go report back. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Actually, I'm going to get David Kay in. He has a fun question. He's also got a fun sweater. I know. Oh. You're like loving his sweater tonight. <laughs> I'm loving my sweater tonight. It's, it's, it's actually... Is it cold? The warmest sweater I own, and I'm glad of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've even got the hat on. Yeah, it's, it's old, old New England houses. Tactical question: Twitter, paid Twitter ads. They never come up in examples during this show. I am in a B two B context, and I'm asking, I guess, in a B two B context, is anyone having any success with paid Twitter ads in B two B? 
we're starting to with some of our companies that are, and I'm interested to see what people have in the chat. I see a nope so far. We'll see. We're starting when we start to get to secondary or a Twitter might even be a tertiary digital channel for me at this point. But as we have been working with customers for years, it becomes as budgets continue to scale and channels become maxed out, then it's a place that we end up being. I can report back to you on what we're finding so far with the few customers that we're running them on. But my general position on Twitter is that like, you got to be crushing the core channels that work before you would even consider like budget or mainly effort and time on that channel. Like if you can't figure out how to make LinkedIn ads work for your B2B product, there's no, you shouldn't be spending a second trying to figure out Twitter ads. I'm a, let's say part-time Twitter user consumer. And I never click on the ads. It's even hard. It's hard to, I don't know. It's hard to see them. So that's me as a as a consumer. Would I say that they're totally not effective? No, I I I don't have the clear answer on that one. But I'm not out there being like I haven't gotten it to a level where I feel confident to share it. And I think that there's several things that I would prioritize much higher than Twitter. I was using them a lot, I guess four or five uh, four or five hours years ago. Interesting ways to do targeting. Which is appreciated. Like what? Um, well, you can target various followers of various other things, mm. which is an interesting kind of different concept. You can also do geography, of course, and, and, and um, device. If you've got something that's device specific, they've mm. got some nice device specific uh, capabilities there. Um, I was thinking of it mostly as really an awareness builder. I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to drive people to um, particular pieces of content. Um, at that time, I was mostly focused on, dare I say it, webinars. <laughs> hey, but, but, getting pe but, get, using social to get people to attend webinars is, I don't think it's a bad thing. We do it. it yes, I got some success from it. I ended up kind of steering away from it because I wasn't sure if the clicks and things that were being reported were real. It's, it seemed as if I was getting a lot of fake data, mm -hmm. um, kind of like when you might do content syndication and you might have at one point in your career passed a, a lead or two over to a salesperson. The salesperson said, that person said they never downloaded anything. And I kind of lost faith in all content syndication for a bit of the same reason, mm -hmm. because there's no independent verification that anyone did something. You're, you're paying. Anyway, so thank you for the answer. I, I kind of got digressing, but I feel as if Twitter never comes up much here. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, Chris, this is your, your, your event and this isn't something you've spent so much time with. Or if it's just, no. It's just yeah, really it's crazy because option. like I talk to maybe thousands of marketers a month, you know what I mean? A ton. And I've never heard once from anyone. I, I ask almost everyone I talk to, what's working the best for you right now? Zero people have ever said Twitter. And so like part of what I do and how I see the things that are working is that I talk to buyers and I talk to marketers and I see what's working the best for you right now. And then because I ask so many people and I get the insights and I dive deeper, I usually, I usually know the things that are really working at any one time. Um, and so it's not necessarily about you know, it, oh, it, is right. my show. it is my show. No. I'm not talking about, uh, I don't talk about Twitter much, but I think it's because it doesn't work. 
<laughs> there you go. All right. Cool. Um, Thank but you very much. Team, we got a couple of people on Refine Labs that are running some stuff. So I'll check in with them in Slack tomorrow and see uh, see if I'm wrong. Thank you very much. Thanks. David, check the chat. A lot of people chimed in on their experience with Twitter. So some some good feedback from the community. Thank you. I will I'll look at that now. All right. I'm passing the closing torch to another one of my favorites. You you all are my favorites. But Patrick, welcome back. Hello, hello. Back again. It's a, it's a great ritual to have. Chris, I've um, got a few questions now on, on AdWords tonight. So we're playing in my field at the moment. We're talking about ads and SEO and stuff a bit tonight, and I've been enjoying it. So it's, it's cool to go something that I'm definitely more comfortable with. Right on. I'm interested in terms of, of using Google Ads to drive awareness, maybe some top of the funnel to, um, I guess, to blog posts or other bits of content that you're not already getting. I think somebody else asked this in some degree in the chat already, but I don't know if it was brought up. But say, instead of using it for the bottom of funnel keywords, like you're talking about, we use it for like, you know, um, you're running it to like a high traffic blog post, validating that, having a look at what that traffic's like. Is that a strategy that you've used before that you, I guess, at what point, if you would say people should use that, should they be looking at doing that early on or sort of late in the game? It depends on a lot of different factors, right? So in like enterprise SaaS, like high volume blog posts are typically like inversely correlated with qualified buyers. You know what I mean? Like in order for, let's say you're selling, I don't know, what are we fucking selling now? I have so many different examples. CRM software? (laughs) No, let's talk about something. Let's say um, uh, uh, performance management software for HR people. Okay. And then that's a pretty large total addressable market. So I'm not sure it's going to play here. Performance management software only for companies that are more than 10,000 employees. Let's do it that way. So big, enter- like an enterprise SaaS motion. And then you like your high traffic blog post is like how to do a performance review or like how do I fire this employee or like what are the laws about firing people? You know what I mean? Like those are the blog posts that are going to get quote unquote high traffic. 50,000 or more stuff. And you can see just as I make the example, how disconnected the traffic is from the product, right? So typically the highest intent terms that are like the gold have low volume. So uh, why don't we talk through an example just because I've been giving one out there, but it sort of like caters to my point of view. So let's talk through one of your examples. Yeah, it's funny. I'm thinking about trying this for a client right now. So we've got a client who's a cease to sale SaaS solution, right? So your main offering is that, you know, if you're a cannabis producer or a producer of cannabis products and stuff, you can manage your entire business's sort of inventory, um, you know, your accounting in there, it Mm -hmm. bugs into that, but it does a lot of the compliance side as well. So um, sort of as an intermediary between the government reporting and the companies, which is one of them is called Metric, which is one of the bigger ones. Mm -hmm. So to use their software is incredibly time-consuming and slow. It's just, it feels like sucky government software, basically. And by using this software, you can speed that up a ton. Mm -hmm. So what we're thinking of doing now, a lot of the metric terms have really converted for us um, in terms of ads, you know, 
basically, as states come online using this as an intermediary, people are searching it to go, what do we do about it? And we are converting some leads from that. The lead conversions could be way better, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that's what's what we're working on that? right now. So. Yeah. What's, give me an idea of what the search is to find that. Yeah, so so it's it's really tough because it's such a new thing. Like in the new states, we'll get a lot of like metric as like the brand name, and we'll get a ton of traffic from that. And maybe we'll convert like maybe twenty percent to in like an MQL, um, and then from there, the MQL will be like a, a webinar on how to like do metric compliance when you're one of these companies, right? So because a lot of these guys have been managing this in spreadsheets and, and those reporting are high, directly those to are high volume terms. Uh, yeah, they're growing terms basically. So obviously a yeah, new state will start off like, yeah, zero. like, like maybe a thousand a month, right? Like it doesn't feel like it would be a lot. Yeah. Like it really, um, it really depends state by state, to be honest. Like it's hard yeah. to pull out because all the softwares that you would pull that with too is nationwide. Right. So yeah. Like when I'm, when I'm thinking high term, high volume terms, just so people understand it's like cannabis. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like cannabis manufacturing or, you know what I mean? Big terms like mm-hmm. metric system for Minneapolis or whatever. That's I, I pretty way more. I, I wouldn't consider that a high volume term. Um, and so I hear what you're what you're doing. You're basically like looking at this term because it's um, it happened to me before, but it's been a long time since it has where I was running an e-commerce store. And I started to get, uh, I think the first trigger was actually an Amazon ad. But after that, I went in and I figured out, hey, like I'm not, I need to figure out how to be state tax compliant when I sell on Amazon to all these different states e-com, which led me to purchasing the software, which is a huge fucking waste of time and money and a big suck. Um, but I did do it. So um, I can see that path. I personally believe that there would be a more effective way to get that done through paid i like the organic strategy right that makes sense and if you're seeing that hey like people are coming to this web page they're filling out this thing they're going through whatever type of funnel we have and they're spitting out as customers and it makes sense then sure if you want to add more people to that flow that's working then go ahead but i would challenge you to think about is there a different way to get to those people all the time not just when they're searching in google Right. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where you get the magic and the, the big impacts is like when they see you every day, not when, yeah. not only when they're in the market to look for something. Yeah, no, totally. I guess we've only really got cleared budget to run ads right now. So we've got to work with what we've got. You mean right? So we bring, so we bring in these organic pages online, obviously target those SEO keywords at the same time as, as using them as a landing page for paid ads as a primary thing. The problem is that that metric side of things, every state can be slightly different. So there's a large learning curve for a lot of people who start to search that. So Oklahoma came on three months ago, you know, Alaska might come on in two months and it'll be slightly different in terms of like the state's legal requirements. Mm -hmm. So there's a large learning gap there. And so what we're thinking about testing at this point is producing the content for that, directing people to the learning content that we basically will leave ungated because what we're finding is that if you still send them straight to something else or try to get them as lead, you get a ton of unqualified stuff, which they just wanted to learn about the system first and they're not ready for that buy. But the keywords that are bottom of the funnel just aren't being searched yet because they're not aware when metric comes online that there's third-party systems that connect to that and then everything mm-hmm. connects to the government and it's like 10 times faster. And they don't know that because they just don't understand and it's all in Excel right now. 
So we're trying to like actually back them up to educate. Yeah. Um, See what I, I'll just give you a different approach that I've taken before both ways can work, but the thing that I don't know for you is, is there an effective way to target these people on Mm -hmm. social, right? I'm not sure that there is, Um, but let's just pretend that there was then. And when the Oklahoma things come online, I would create a, like a press release style blog. It's not going to be formal, like a press release. It's going to be a blog and it's going to say, Oklahoma just released these new laws. The laws say blah, 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 blah. It's important for cannabis manufacturers to consider X, Y, and Z about these things. The next thing that people should do is consider whether they need a tool to manage these in order to stay in compliance. I completely made that up, but you get what I'm saying. Right. And then I'm going to run that to everyone through LinkedIn ads or Facebook ads. So that that gets the gen, that's the first initial awareness, right? So I'm going to like, basically the thing that you're trying to do is get the initial awareness so that more people come through search. And then when they come through search, they already know that the, the regulations are there. Maybe they've already associated with your company because you're the one who distributed it. So there's a couple of ways, like the only difference is whether you're doing it proactively or reactively right now, you're waiting reactively for somebody to sort search and just looking at if there's a one, two punch that you can add a proactive way to go out and get people that may not be searching or looking right now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I guess that's sort of um, yeah, as part of my fighter to to release some more budget and some more, <laughs> you know, room to maneuver in that scenario. I guess it would lead a little bit into my follow-up question that I had was similarly about like using, um, you, you talked a lot about using video and stuff for social and chopping it all up for that. I'm curious on your p- opinion or position on using um, that for, you know, YouTube sponsored type of stuff, whether you've repackaged Great. some of that and seen anything. Sorry. YouTube pre-roll ads are hot, very inexpensive. They're a little bit more difficult to target. Retargeting can work there. Uh, if you're selling a wide product, then you can let Google algorithm run. Like if you're selling monday.com or things like that, you can see a lot of the, like the project management or horizontal tools. Mm-hmm. sort of like market differently toward the upper funnel. Like I'm seeing a lot of project management tools. I see tons of out of home. There's stuff on buses, wide targeted YouTube ads because, right. you know, there's a lot of use cases for that product and there's a lot of people that could use it, which is different than some companies that have a more defined target market where some of those things are harder to target. But we've had, we've had really good success with YouTube ads when we, implemented, especially when you implement self-reported attribution, because you don't get a lot of direct response coming from there, but it's a good awareness channel that leads to later conversions. And we like start running YouTube ads with a video. How did you hear about us? And then like pretty quickly we see like people, how did you hear about us? YouTube. Some people even write YouTube ad. (laughs) (laughs) So that it can definitely work. The key, the, the thing that's, that I found the most challenging in YouTube, the content is one of it. Like the, in order to get it, some people actually consume it and it makes a business impact that requires more planning than a lot of other media uh, placements. But the hard, the hardest part is targeting in B2B Um, because you don't, you can't target by job title or company size or any of those types of things. Retargeting can work. Even if you use retargeting with Google's audience expansion, it doesn't work. I find that adding audience expansion is a waste of money. So it's like, how do you get that channel to go out and get cold audiences, which is what you need in order to really scale a, a digital advertising channel? And we haven't 100% figured that out yet. Yeah, I guess that's um, 
<laughs> something I haven't figured out yet either, right? We've got a ton of webinars and like uh, some video content we can cut up and try, but um, yeah, I'm just super dubious on how effective that will be. So yeah, I yeah, appreciate I would, it. I would try uh, retargeting at a low budget and just, just start to play with it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. whatever, 10 bucks a day, you actually get like the impressions are really cheap on YouTube. So you can start to like get some reps, understand the metrics, see how many people are clicking, what they're going to. You can test a couple of different types of videos and see if one style or one thing works better than the other. What I do know for sure is that the first five seconds really matter. Yeah. I guess it's super fun. Like where, you know, it's cannabis related. So if you like, you get shut down really fast on and just mentioning the word, no matter like we don't totally. touch it, we don't, yeah. you know, um, we, I was, uh, before I started Refine Labs, I was thinking about consulting with a company that was selling CBD products. They asked me for some help. They make one product that's called Beam Dream. It's been a life changer for me actually to help me fall asleep. I'd highly recommend it to anybody. It's amazing. I recommend it to Megan, but she gave it back to me. Um, <laughs> um, and they were asking me for help into advertising. And it's like right when you put an ad up, Facebook and Instagram were like, no way, like anything related to CBD, THC, not allowed. I'm not sure if that, I think that's changed since then because that was 2018. But most platforms just crossing yeah. from CBD into THC typically is like a no-no for social platforms. Um, so yeah, I could see that uh, getting shut down. Like Facebook stuff would yeah. look at the landing page that you're sending them to and it would crawl the landing page and potentially off your site. And if they saw related terms, it would shut down the ad. So it, um, I'm not sure YouTube is probably that sophisticated too. So if you're sending them to your website, it would probably flag it. Yeah. It's a funny one. Like we had, we had Facebook working for like three or four months and then someone brought in a third party consultant to have a look at it and they got it shut down almost immediately. And we've Damn. just never been allowed back on it. And, and Google ads is similar. Every second ad gets canceled, but every other ad is going to the same landing page and it's completely fine. Yeah. So like, you know, we just playing in the space we can play. It's fun that you've got these like actual walls up. So it's not like mental. It's like, okay, well, look, if they're going to stop me. They're going to stop me. Mm -hmm. So like it cuts off some options, but also keeps you free to try stuff. You wouldn't normally be allowed to. I think that people like, you know what, be creative with it, do whatever, because we're walled yeah. in. So yeah. It really anyway. pushes you more into an organic strategy, organic social content strategy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and it's something that, uh, yeah, we're trying to champion and get over the line for a bit now. I think it's I think it's coming down the line, but we try to we gotta try and squeeze more out of the stone first. And once yeah. we can, I think we, you know, we've got the liberty. Cool. I appreciate it, man. That was that was Thanks, helpful. man. Great to talk to you. I think that was the closeout, yeah, Megan. Oh yeah. Patrick, I, I anointed Patrick as the closer, so I don't want to take nice. that back. But why don't you close Hell us yeah. out maybe with a little teaser for Thursday's keynote? I'll drop Yeah, well, we had a teaser at the beginning. Um, I don't want to give away the whole thing. I do have some notes in here. It's funny, I uh for the keynote, I have uh like three or four sentences in my notes app, and that's all my preparation. And I just I can read it. Uh, I'm not gonna read it to you right now, but I'm reading it to myself. And I'm just like, wow, if I just read these four sentences, it gets me fired up to go and talk about this topic because there's just so much opportunity in these platforms when if you can connect with what your buyers need and how to tell that story and focus on telling the story, not collecting leads, that like, um, man, it's so powerful. It's like, the, it's like a B2B marketer's dream. We've been waiting 
the beginning of my career in 2012 and 13 as a B2B marketer, there was nothing like this that you, that you could do to go out and get to exactly who you want. I had to wait until they would fly me to a conference so that I could interview a couple people at the booth and do some customer research. And now it's just like you can access those people all the time and give them stuff every day. And so I'm really looking forward to talking through how to make this stuff really work. And it's like there's part of it which is on the mindset side, but I'm going to go deep. Uh, maybe we'll even do some screen sharing. Who knows about some of the, the ways that we set it up, some of the things that I look for, how I optimize, how I think about sequencing content, not like a retargeting funnel, like a three-step funnel, but how to think about what types of content, how to present that, what metrics to look at by that, that specific type. And so I, I'm excited about it. Hope you all join. If not, you'll be able to catch the, uh, the recording on Friday as well as the YouTube video, but hope to see you there live. And uh, we'll be doing Q&A and stuff like that. This one will just be with me and then we'll get back with uh, our expert series on the first Thursday of March. Thanks everyone. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you soon. Hope to see you Thursday. Hey everyone, really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over 40,000 listeners across the world to this podcast. And so super grateful and super happy that for all of you, really appreciate you tuning in attending the live events, engaging on the LinkedIn content, and now watching us get started up and engaging on YouTube and TikTok. And so thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. And if you haven't already, if you've gotten value from the podcast, I would really appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you very much. And we'll see you for the next episode.